Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the elders on staff here, and uh, an even greater privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. So I invite you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 29 as we can continue our series going through the Psalms. Uh, if you don't have one with you, we'll put the words up on the screen as well. Um, we're going to continue. I'll, I'll read in Psalm 29 and invite you to, uh, to follow along as we consider these words, the words of the true and living God. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. God, we come as a people in desperate need of you to hear your voice, to be led by your Spirit. And so we thank you for the Scriptures. God, we're grateful for this opportunity to open them together and to hear your voice. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to walk in obedience. We pray these things in your name. Amen. When I was in high school, one of my closest friends liked a particular band. And I, and I liked this band as well, but, but this friend, he joined the fan club for that band. It's something that I didn't even know existed right, until he told me about it. He was part of their, their fan club. And basically, he would every year pay this annual membership fee to be a part of the fan club. And in exchange, he had the benefit right, of, of getting access earlier than the general public to be able to buy tickets when tickets went on sale for the concert, or he got a preview of the new album that was coming out, or sometimes they sent him a sticker or a poster, and so basically, you paid for the privilege of paying for special things, right, is pretty much how that worked out. But we understand that those who are famous celebrities, they are just inaccessible to us regular, everyday people. And so the fan club is the closest we can get 
to feeling like we have some sort of special relationship with these people, with this person, with this band. And, and we understand that in life in general, the more power someone has, right, the greater their position, the further removed they are from the general, repu- repu- the general public. Right? They're protected sometimes by security, secret service, whoever that may be. Whatever the position is, the higher the position is, the more money that's spent on keeping them isolated from us from the public. But we see in this psalm, in Psalm 29, something entirely different. This psalm declares over and over again that the Lord reigns. He reigns in power that is unrivaled. He reigns in majesty over all of the earth. And yet, for those who are His, for those who belong to His kingdom, there is for us meaning and significance and great blessing. Far more than what any fan club could purchase you. And so we begin in, in, in the first couple of verses here where there's this call to worship. He says over and over again, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Right, here he is, let's worship him in his holiness. And we don't really use that word ascribe, right? but it's a call to worship. It's a call to recognize the Lord for who he is. Right? He's saying, join me, won't you, in recognizing this God. Join me in giving him worship. Join me in ascribing to him and saying he is worthy of our praise. Right? He's not just saying the Lord is strong, the Lord is powerful, The Lord is holy. He's not just making these statements about the Lord. He's saying, let's together recognize him for who he is and let's respond in worship. So that's this call in verses one and two to actively worship him. Ascribe glory and strength. Ascribe the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Notice who he's speaking to. Notice who he's calling to worship in verse one. Ascribe to the Lord who? Oh, heavenly beings. He's not commanding his own soul, as sometimes he does. He's not commanding himself to praise the Lord. He's not calling the congregation, as sometimes he does, to praise the Lord. He's calling out to heavenly beings. Some versions translate it mighty ones. Some people think this is a call to the angels or to the rulers of the earth, but I think the best evidence suggests that this is a call to lowercase g gods, to ascribe to the Lord worship, to recognize their place. We see something similar happen in Exodus chapter 15. Listen to these words. It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? What was happening in Exodus 15? In Exodus 15, Moses and the people of Israel were singing those words. Who is like you among the gods? Why were they singing those words? Because God had just rescued them from being in slavery in Egypt. He had defeated Pharaoh and his army, and he had just embarrassed the gods of Egypt and showed himself to be much, much greater. 
If, if you're familiar with the story, God had sent 10 plagues. His people were in slavery. Right? God shows up at the burning bush. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. They go back and forth. God sends these 10 plagues. And each of these plagues right, shows God's power over various aspects of nature. Over aspects of nature that the Egyptians thought were controlled by these other gods. And God shows himself to be greater than each and every one of these Egyptian gods. Because Egypt, just like a lot of ancient mythology and even modern religions, recognized that there was power on display in nature. But they falsely attributed that power to lowercase g gods. And so they worshiped the God of the sun or the God of the Nile or the God of the frogs, whatever it may be. And so here, what the psalmist is doing is essentially he's attacking or tearing down any other God and exposing them as lesser than the one true God and in reality, false gods. By saying to them, take your place, ascribe to the one true God, the one who really is powerful and glorious and just clothed in splendor, ascribe to him who he really is. And so it's a call for all other gods to take their place because when God shows up in all his glory, right, they must acknowledge who he is. And so he says, he calls them to worship and basically verses three through nine, it's let, let me tell you, let me show you just how powerful the one true God is. And what we see in verses three through nine then is this incredible use of both poetry and geography to describe to us the power of the Lord. He's going to describe the Lord poetically as a thunderstorm that begins over the sea and then moves inland and across the land just demonstrating his pure power and majesty. So three through nine display really the Lord's power in a thunderstorm. This is a metaphor and it helps us, it serves to help us meditate on the power and majesty of the Lord. Now when I remember being in high school English class, I feared the unit on poetry. Right? Because inevitably, there was the one assignment every year right, to write a poem. And to me, that was just grueling, impossible work. Right? Like, give me a math class, period one, two, three, lunch, recess, math class. And I love it. But poetry, yeah. Right? And I, I didn't mind English, it wasn't a, but poetry was rough. And even though I didn't like it, I could still appreciate the effectiveness of poetry in communicating ideas. Because if I were to just make the statement to you, the Lord is powerful, you may agree with that statement. But if I say to you, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, and it strips the forests bare, is that not a lot more effective in communicating to you the depth of the power of the Lord? It helps you grasp the magnitude of who he is and the majesty. And so we have here this poetic metaphor along with repetition 
and a use of descriptive phrases that build in intensity as we read it, comparing the Lord to this massive thunderstorm, right? We read in verse three, he's over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord's powerful, the voice of the Lord's full of majesty. It breaks the cedars, breaks the cedars of Lebanon. So he's, he's comparing the Lord to a thunderstorm where there's water and sounds of thunder and flashes of lightning and it's, if you think about a thunderstorm, it is at the same time both terrifying and yet beautiful. Right? If, if we're safe in our home, right, then we watch a thunderstorm out the window just in awe of its power and its beauty. There's few things that you can think of in nature that command your attention like a thunderstorm. I mean, just the, the sound of it the speed of the lightning, the brightness of it, the sheer force that's behind it. It's both powerful and majestic. And that's how he describes the Lord, thundering and flashes flames of fire. It's shaking the wilderness. And he describes it in terms of this geography as it moves from the waters inland to Lebanon, to Syrian, to Kadesh, Right? And so it starts out in verse 3 where the Lord is over the waters. Right? Over, essentially, he's picturing it over the Mediterranean. And it moves inland to Lebanon in verse 5, right, where it breaks the cedars, breaks the, series, the, the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 6 makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Those are the mountains just inland. Right? That's Lebanon covered with mountains, and those mountains are covered with cedars. And cedars, as the Bible describes them, are these large, strong, spectacular trees that were used for building. We read how Solomon, King Solomon, had them imported to build his palace and to construct the temple. And these massive trees on these massive mountains were no match for the Lord. He essentially snaps them as if they're twigs. And so it goes down to Syrian, which is a mountain in, in southern Lebanon, down to the wilderness of Kadesh. Right? We read down in verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So from the mountains down to the wilderness, to the desert, as this thunderstorm moves over the earth, what we see is just pure dominance over creation breaking cedars, shaking the earth. He says it makes Lebanon, in verse 6, skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Right? That's a great word picture where these mountains of Syrian and Lebanon, these immovable, massive mountains, right, they become like scared baby animals, agile, quick, fleeting. That's what the power of the Lord does. He said, this one's kind of, kind of strange, verse 9, it says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. I had no idea what that meant. But it was funny, one commentator wrote that it's as if animals, he said, drop their burdens in an untimely manner, is the way he described it. Another suggested that it's better translated, not so much about the animals, but as the trees, as the oaks tremble, he writes as the forests are stripped bare. So here's the Lord's power, majesty, strength, on display, full display 
in creation, exercising his will and authority over creation. And we know that one of the ways that God reveals himself is through his creation. As Psalm 19 told us, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us that it's, it's God's invisible attributes. It says, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. That's what Roman tells us. Romans 1 tells us God's power has been clearly seen in his creation. And that's what's going on here. Because we, we recognize the power that there is in a thunderstorm. And the reality, this is just a metaphor, right? This is just scratching the surface. This is an attempt to use things we understand to help us grasp the power of God, but realize his actual power is much greater than what we can comprehend. It's much greater than a thunderstorm. So he's not exaggerating. He's not using hyperbole. He's using a metaphor, which helps us humans right, just try to grasp a little bit because we know the power of a thunderstorm. And we used to have this huge tree in our backyard, And the branches started to extend over our roof. And every time there was a thunderstorm, I'd be laying in bed, all I could think about was that tree. And all I could picture was that tree coming through my house. Every time you, you feel that shaking, you see the lightning, you feel small, you feel powerless. And yet as as mighty and as powerful as that is, as nature is, it can't be more powerful than the one who created it and controls it. And that's the point. God's showing himself through creation. He also reveals himself to us through his word. In fact, that's the way that God exercises his power in this psalm is through his voice. Consider the fact that in just verses three through nine, the voice of the Lord is repeated seven times. That phrase, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Like clearly the focus is that God's power is exercised over creation through his word, through his voice. And we know that that's how he rules. That's how he exercises authority. Remember in Genesis chapter one, when God creates everything, God says, let there be light. Through his word, he creates In making promises to his people, covenant promises, the Lord said to Abram, through you the nations will be blessed. And promising to David a kingdom, it says, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Lord makes promises through his word. He relates to his people through his word. When Jesus comes, he proclaims the good news of the gospel. We read in Mark chapter 1 that he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. It's the voice of Jesus Christ declaring the gospel. And now through his church, where Jesus says to his disciples, that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That's the voice of the Lord going out to all nations through his church so that people may be saved. He governs, he exercises authority, he shows his power, he rules through his voice. One day, he's going to come back and he's going to judge 
And he will exercise his authority through his words. Matthew 25 tells us that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus coming again, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And it says before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And what will he do? He will speak. The voice of the Lord will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the power of the Lord, active in his word. And so for us today, let's not underestimate the power of what God can do in our lives through the scriptures, through the voice of the Lord. But just this week, somebody in our missional community shared that one of his family members told him that he takes the Bible too seriously. And on the one hand, it's a sad statement because we hope and pray that, that this family member would see the value of the scriptures. But on the other hand, if you're going to be criticized by a family member for something, that's, that's a good thing to be criticized for, for taking the word of God seriously, for trusting in the power of the Lord revealed through his word. God's word is powerful. We're told it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We're told God says it does not return void or empty, but God says in Isaiah 55, it accomplishes that in which I purpose. It it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Psalm 19 tells us that it's, it's the word of the Lord, it's his commands that revive our soul, that rejoice our heart, that gives light to our eyes. I mean, God has spoken to us through his word, so let's not underestimate the power of what it is able to accomplish in us and through us, right? God has sent us to be a people who speak the truth of the gospel under his authority. As Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth, right? It's all mine. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize and teach them, speak to them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Say to them everything that I have said to you. He's a God who speaks, who sends his people to speak. Because in his voice there is power. In his word there is power. And so after this, this thunderstorm, it moves from the waters to the mountains, across the wilderness. We arrive in verse 9 at the temple. The end of verse 9. It says, in his temple, all cry glory. The response of those watching as this thunderstorm approaches, as God approaches, as he draws near, the response, he says, is one word. It's just glory. When you see, if you're driving in the car, if you're looking out the window and you see lightning, especially if it's really, really close, your response is almost an involuntary one, right, of just, wow. I mean, you, you, you can't just ignore it. You don't just say, huh, that's neat. And when you see that strike, because you know the power it has, because you see its beauty, your response is just, wow. 
And that's what's happening as this thunderstorm is approaching. Those in the temple cry out, glory. That's their response. And so it's fulfilling that call to worship from verses 1 and 2. Where he's saying, let's ascribe to the Lord glory and praise. Once they witness his majesty and his power, that's exactly what they do. That's all they can do. Just as Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, when he sees the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, he says, woe is me. Who am I? I'm just a man of unclean lips compared to this almighty God. Or Simon Peter, before Jesus, right before he calls him to follow him, right, he's out there fishing. He doesn't have any luck that night. He comes back in. He meets Jesus, who's not his master yet. Jesus says, go back out, Simon. Go back out where you were and try again. Throw, throw down your nets again. And Simon Peter says, we tried, but okay, we'll do it. And he does it. And they bring in so many fish, right? It breaks the nets. The boats can't contain it. And, and Simon Peter says, he falls down at Jesus' knees and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When he sees that power over creation, he knows that he's in the presence of the Lord. And so that kind of power requires a response, which is what this psalm does. It calls us to join in, in worship. We can't ignore that. We can't act like this God of the Bible is not really that big of a deal. We can't afford to ignore such power and majesty. If, if, if you don't know him, if you've yet to trust in Christ, then our invitation to you is join us, won't you? Join us in ascribing to the Lord glory and strength. Join us in recognizing who he is because we're, we're declaring to you right, from his word that there is no power greater than this. You won't find anything more powerful than this. See, the Israelites, they struggled with temptation to worship other gods. It's well documented. They're surrounded by polytheistic belief systems and, and over and over again they, they conform to the culture around them. They run after other gods seeking some kind of benefit and blessing from that. And the reality is what the scripture shows us over and over again is the futility of that, that because there is no one else. So why worship someone or something else? Why give yourself to something lesser? Let's ascribe to him glory and strength. Don't ascribe glory and strength to anything else, to, to fame, to success, to riches, to accomplishments, to a position, whatever that may be. Don't ascribe glory and strength where it is not due. And so he, he concludes in verse 10 that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Right, so having now traveled from the sea onto the land, across the mountains, into the desert, finally entering the temple where God's presence rested with his people, the Lord now sits. He sits, he writes, over the flood. Again, another word picture. You think about a flood. You think about watching a flood on the news and its power and its devastation and here God sits enthroned over the flood 
The flood is that which is totally unstable. It's impossible to control. All you can do is watch and pray and hope for the best. Whenever you watch a flood hit any part of the earth, you recognize it's a fearful thing because it is impossible for us to control. And here he says the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He sits unshaken. That's power. And he says he sits enthroned as king forever. What's the response to such power and majesty? You can try to ignore it. You can try to run from it. But those of us who belong to to him are those who have said, no, let your reign extend over my life. God, I, I submit myself to you. I belong to you. I was made by you. I am yours. Right? That's the response to the power of a creator. As he says in verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. See, this psalm draws our attention up to the skies, to the power of the thunderstorm, but then ultimately to the Lord. And what we find is, as we trace right, the sound of his voice up to him is that this almighty, all-powerful king wants to bless his people. The strength of the one displayed in the thunderstorm is the strength of his people. I mean, the, the one who shakes the earth gives peace to his people. Think about the words of Jesus in John 16 where he says to his disciples, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, he says, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. To his disciples, he says, in me, there's peace. There is tribulation. There is trouble. But in me, that's where you find your peace. You see, the more power that someone has, the more greatness, the more fame of a leader, As I said at the beginning, the more distant they are from people. But not so with the Lord. I mean, the greater the power someone has, the more likely we expect that person to be corrupt, no? The more power somebody has in and of themselves, the more we just assume that corruption is going to sneak in, that there's going to be selfishness. Here in Psalm 29, we have unmatched power, and yet he blesses his people. I mean, there's incredible meaning for us here. For earthly leaders, we're skeptical. Are we not of power and position? We're skeptical that it's going to be used for selfish gain and not for public service. But not so with the Lord. He gives strength to people under his care. He gives peace. He doesn't promise health. He doesn't promise riches. He doesn't promise good fortune the God who's powerful gives us strength the God who sits in control over everything blesses us with peace when you think about somebody powerful I mean what is it that you want from that person 
a handshake, an autograph, lower taxes, better laws. For God's people, our Heavenly Father is the true and most powerful King forever. And what He gives to His people is strength and peace. You won't get that from a fan club. You won't get that from an election. You won't get that from a boyfriend, a girlfriend, from a promotion. You won't find that anywhere else because his peace endures forever. Right? That peace is peace with Almighty God. That peace is peace right, of eternal life, of dwelling with him for the rest of our days. That's a peace that passes all understanding, that outweighs any circumstances, right? that no matter what we're going through, he sits enthroned over all of the chaos. That's a peace that endures because it's anchored in Jesus Christ. That's what he gives to his people. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned as king forever. May he give strength to his people. May he bless us, his people, with peace. Let's pray. God, together this morning we are here to ascribe to you glory and strength that you are so worthy of. God, we thank you for the reminder of your word, just how powerful and mighty you are. And I pray that this morning there wouldn't be a single person here, a single heart in this building that could turn, that could ignore such power. But let every one of us, by your spirit, consider just how mighty you are and submit to your reign. God, we pray, we do ask for your strength. Because in this world, there is a lot of trouble, as you said. And things are, are difficult. And in our flesh and on our own, we, we just can't do it. And so we, we do ask you, God, to give us strength. And God, we do pray, as this psalm says, to, that, that you would bless us with peace. Above all, peace with you, our Creator that comes through Jesus. Peace in our relationships, peace in our, our families, peace in our city that only comes through you. Would you bless us, your people, with that peace so that we might represent you well in this world where there is chaos and trouble and tribulation. God, that you would be glorified in us. We pray these things in your name.